We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here with your 2021 AFC East Wrap-Up. Chris, the final standings. The final standings are in, brother. The Bills finished with an 11 and 6 record. The Patriots at 10 and 7, the Dolphins 9 and 8, the Jets 4 and 13. That extra game throws me off. Right? I'm, I I I was prepared, like I thought I was prepared, and then when you hear it you go wait that's not wrong. Oh. 4 and 12, 11 and 5, 10 and 6, yeah, you 8 used and 8. To t- 10 and 6 was the number, right? Cuz 10 and 6 was one yeah. of those things that you always used to say to yourself, get ten, yeah. get there, 10 wins will get you in the playoffs. 10 10 wins should usually get you in the playoffs. Now 11 and 6 and you go wait, what? Wait, what are we talking about here? We're here tonight to put a bow on what was the 2021 season for three of the AFC East teams. Just to kind of get together with the podcasters that we've brought you all season long, just take a look at how they feel their season went. And I I think the place you have to start is at the bottom and climb your way up. And that starts with Scott Mason of Play Like a Jet. Ladies and gentlemen, let's open a fresh one and welcome Scott into the program. How are you tonight, sir? I am fully ensconced in draft season. I'm doing one mock draft a day, and I'm already getting in. Oh, that tells you where uh, my head is at as a Jets fan right now, and also it tells you that people on Twitter get a little too emotionally attached to certain draft prospects they like this time of year. Well, you and I had the conversation the other day about the uh, the cornerback thing, and we were laughing about how you were like, oh, a cornerback in the first round is not the dumbest thing in the world for the Jets with the, f- with the fourth or fifth pick. And 
people were like, what are you talking about? That's, that's ridiculous. Blah, 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 blah. It's almost like they, and somebody tweeted at you and was like, what cornerback have the Jets ever drafted in the first round that was good? And you just responded with a picture. Just a picture of Darrell Rivas. Just a photo. And not only is that hilariously snark, like that, that kind of, again, I'm petty. I like snark. That was perfect. But also, I remember watching that draft because I'm pretty sure, was that the Arakpo draft? I feel like it was. Because I remember watching it and thinking to myself, why are the Jets fans booing this pick? And there was just Jets fans at Radio City Music Hall when they announced that it was Darrell Rivas, a quarterback, who all went, boo, boo. And he went on to be one of the most prolific defensive players your franchise has had. I mean, it's, what is it about your franchise that they just do not like cornerbacks? <laughs> you don't have any. It's not a sexy position. It's not a sexy position, and I think a lot of it, too, is if we're being real, most people didn't really know who Darrell Revis was. The thing was, I wasn't even saying the Jets should pick a cornerback at number five. I was just saying there were people like, the Jets should not pick a cornerback in round one. And to me, that's crazy. Like, you, A, you should certainly consider it at number 10 if there's a guy you really like. And B, if you trade down, you could certainly consider it, too. And you guys know, Tredavious White, that if you have a healthy Tredavious, important element to that Buffalo defense. You look at Miami with Xavier Howard and all those years of stuff on Gilmore in, in New England. Cornerback to me is an interesting position because A, it's incredibly important in a passing league and B, it's so hard to get guys that are good enough to be really, really good at it. Like Bryce Hall is okay. He's like a decent number two, but you guys watch what happened. He got cooked a bunch against the Bills in that last game. And we talked about this. If Josh Allen was playing anywhere near as well as he did in the playoff game against the Patriots, the Jets probably lose by four or five touchdowns in that game because Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs were getting open all day on Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles. If you go out and you get a cornerback like a Trey White or a Xavier Howard or Stefan Gilmore or whoever it is you want to talk about, that does so much for your defense. And then you add an, an edge rusher with the other pick. And that's what my argument was. I said, look, the Jets can get foundational pieces for the offense from rounds two to four because they have five picks there. But I think it's so much harder to get a premium edge rusher and a premium cornerback that if you have the opportunity to do that in the first round, go ahead and do it. And people were going, ah, I'm like, look, the team gave up 500 <laughs> yards. 500 yards, Drew. Not just, it's a franchise record. Not, not just 500 yards, but here's the damning thing for me when I look back at you guys statistically. 31st in the NFL in interceptions. You guys only had seven on the season. There wasn't a single team in the AFC East that finished with less than 14. You were also the second, you allowed the second most first downs in the NFL. How do yep. most teams move the football? It's through the air. So with that in mind, you guys are at a significant disadvantage if you don't address that. And I just think it's hilarious to me that the Jets fan base feels so vitriolic on this topic of no first-round cornerbacks. But I feel like that's because this is a symptom of where everybody's just mad at everything when yeah. things are tough. And so that's kind of where we start this conversation because I've got a, I've got a set quite a group of questions that we're going to ask every guest tonight. I want to start with this. In the eyes of what you thought this season was going to be, because I know success is measured differently for everyone depending on their individual situation. 
you've come on this podcast and you said all season that this season was about watching the growth of Zach Wilson as to because you knew that the team was probably depleted enough in various important situations and positions that it was going to have a little, it was going to have some struggles. Do you think that this season can be labeled either a success or a failure? Man, it's weird. I don't know that I'd say either because Wilson showed some progress at the end of the season, but what we were really hoping for was, I don't want to say as good as Herbert or anything like that, but we were hoping for something closer to what Joe Burrow did last year before he got hurt in Cincinnati, where he was pretty good. He wasn't great, but he was pretty good, and you could see that you know if you got a couple more pieces for him, that the following year he had a real chance to make the jump, and obviously he has done that in Cincinnati. So you didn't get that, so it was kind of disappointing. But Wilson did improve after he came back from injury, so that was nice. Robert Sala, did he do enough for me to be convinced he's the right head coach going forward? No, not necessarily, but did he do enough for me to think that he isn't the right head coach? No, I think he made some mistakes. He did some nice things. Some things got better as the season wore on. Some other things he's going to have to really fix next year. But I I can't say success or failure. I'd say somewhere in the middle. The best way I could put it is it's it's TBD. The, The Jets did enough to make me slightly, I guess, what's the best way to put this, cautiously optimistic going into the offseason. And now they've got to put some pieces together. That'll be Joe Douglas's job in the draft and free agency. And then we'll see where it goes in year number two. But success and failure, I, I wouldn't be comfortable saying either one. What was the most positive thing that you learned about your football team in 2021? I'd say the thing that the most positive for me was that for the first time in a really long time, it looks like the Jets might have some real fun young pieces on that offense because when Mike McCagney was here, he just paid no attention to that. Uh, the, The only thing that he really did that helped the offense at all was he went out and traded for Brandon Marshall, a fifth round pick. And he, Brandon Marshall was awesome for the Jets that one year in 2015 when the Bills spoiled the, hey, the he, celebration. He signed Eric Decker that year, too. And Eric Decker as well, a slot no, receiver De- was Decker, devastating. No, Decker was signed the year before under John okay. Edzik. But still, okay. yeah. But yeah, but th- no, Decker was a nice move by Edzik. But yeah, that, that was that was fun. But neither one of those guys, like Decker was 27, so he wasn't old, but he also wasn't like oh, he's 21, they just got him out of such, you know, out of, I think he went to Minnesota. And Marshall obviously was, I think, 31 at the time. So he knew he had seen better days. And while he was still really good, wasn't his prime. Elijah Moore really cooked this year when he was healthy. And especially once he started, uh, the, the, the quarterback started seeing him because Wilson had a lot of problem with that early in the year. Elijah Vera Tucker was a, a, a monster, especially in the run game. And I think he had as good of a rookie year as you could have expected out of him. Michael Carter, he had some injuries, but when he played, he showed you something both in the run game and the pass game. So, and then obviously Wilson, we talked about him before. So, so that's a nice change because it's been quite a while since we've seen that type of movement on that side of the ball as far as quality young players. Because even during the Rex Ryan era, if you look at most of the guys who were the difference makers at the skill positions, you had Thomas Jones, who at the time was toward the end of his career. He was still productive, but toward the end. 
You had Santonio Holmes, uh, Braylon Edwards, Jericho Cotri. These are guys that were all productive receivers, but Santonio Holmes was, I think, 26 or 27. Same with Braylon Edwards. Not old, but also they hadn't just drafted them out of Ohio State and Michigan and whatever. So that to me was was the most positive sign that I saw. And, and I'm not going to lie to you. I you talking. I know some of our listeners probably are chortling right now because they hear you say, oh, Zach Wilson, he made he made progress. And they go, what progress? You guys won four games. Here's the way I denote it. At the beginning of the season, Zach Wilson was on pace to set a record for turnovers. Right. Mm-hmm. Your offense had nine offensive turnovers in the first five weeks. Over the last five weeks, just two. Between the running backs, between your quarterback, they found a way to stop turning the ball over. And I think in response, you started getting some momentum. So I, I guess it's just one of those things where there were, even though things record wise didn't go well, you, I don't know. I feel like there was growth there, even if it's hard to see because of all the weeds. Now, well, let me put it this way, Drew, real quickly to, to bolster your point. Early. In the season, it would have seemed impossible, or even a month before the season was over, that Zach Wilson could end the season with as many touchdowns as turnovers. And yet he did. He finished with 12 turnovers and 12 touchdowns, which, again, doesn't sound great, and it wasn't. But when you look at before the injury, it seemed like there was no way that was going to happen. And ultimately, that shows you the difference, and it really shows you how much more careful he became with the football. No, for sure. Now, if you want to flip that around and talk about the worst or most negative storyline about this football team last year, and I, mean, I know there was a, I know there's a lot to work with <laughs> when you're a four-win football team, but for you personally, if you want to think about the one thing that was the most disappointing about this season, when you look back at it, what do you think it would be? It's tough because... Obviously, Wilson was disappointing because for the reason that I said, we were hoping for a better season from him, but he is still a rookie quarterback. I think to to me, the most impo- uh, disappointing part of the season was I didn't expect the Jets defense to be great, but I expected them to at least not be embarrassing. And they were every bit embarrassing for most of the season. The first few weeks, they tricked people, but I'm tr- I think it was the Patriots that really exploited the Jets' weakness, and they couldn't stop the screen. They couldn't stop runs up the middle. And that sort of shielded how bad their pass defense was at times because you'll hear people, and going back to what we said before, Drew, they'll say, oh, the Jets don't really need a corner. It wasn't that big of a problem. Oh, it sure was. It's just that you're looking at all these other problems and trying to say that corner isn't as big of a deal. Of course it is because it's so much harder to fill. But they couldn't get any pressure on most most quarterbacks. They There were a couple of weeks where the interior defensive line did what they do, and they were able to get to the quarterback. But most weeks they weren't. And as far as defending the pass, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, and you guys saw this when the Bills played them, the Jets would have some team in a third and 10, a third and 15, a third and 20, and the chains would move because they just couldn't stop those third downs. And I mean... I remember against the Eagles three times there was third and 15 or third and 20. It was embarrassing. They couldn't get off the field. 
I, I think Quez Watkins was the one who actually got at least two of those first downs, maybe three. So that, that to me was very disappointing. It's not that I expected the defense to be great because they were playing with a lot of injuries and they had a lot of guys that were young and unproven. But, you know, look, you guys know the drill here. Sean McDermott, guys like that, Rex Ryan even as much as, you know, he is what he is. Todd Bowles even, like, those defenses may not have been elite, but they competed. Like, you can't imagine Todd Bowles' defense or Rex Ryan defense ever being so embarrassing that you just want to crawl up into a, bowl, a ball, and that's what we got this year. And look, again, I don't want to go too crazy about it because they didn't have a lot of talent, but just to be this bad is, is kind of scary. What was the most memorable game of 2021 for you personally? Doesn't matter the reason, just the game that you're going to walk away from this season remembering the most. <laughs> That's an interesting one. I, I have to say, it's got to be the win over Cincinnati because the white the Mike White phenomenon took hold, at least for a week. And it was one of the most fun things that I've witnessed as a Jets fan in a couple of years. And it's sad because the backup quarterback coming in and playing that well and beating a Cincinnati team in a season where the team went four and 13 shouldn't be that big of a deal. But you got to remember 2019 was not a very good season for the Jets. Darnold had mono. You had all of that. Uh, You had the scene ghost game and a whole bunch of stuff like that. In 2020 fans weren't even allowed into the stadium, which is probably a blessing considering how bad that season went. And so to see everybody at the stadium so happy to the point where people are leaving the stadium chanting Mike White, Mike White, and genuinely enjoying themselves in a way that I haven't seen enough of at MetLife Stadium over the last couple of years. It really was a memorable moment. Now, in the end, it probably ended up costing – there's a good chance and it's going to end up costing the Jets one of the top three players in the draft – We'll see how it shakes out because nobody knows for sure how the board's going to fall. So really, it probably did more harm than good. But in (laughs) the moment, and even looking back at it now, look, Jets fans have had so few opportunities to really have fun in their home stadium the last few years that it was nice to see that. Listen, Chris can vouch for this. I'm a guy who makes decisions for myself that long term are terrible that I enjoy in the moment all of the time. All of the time. So I'm the perfect audience to hear something like that. I'm here for it. Biggest question for the New York Jets going into the 2022 offseason. Man, that's a tough one. Well, before I answer that, let me ask this. Is there a question ahead about what the Jets can do to improve or what they should do to improve? Because nope. I don't want to. Okay, <laughs> nope. so I'll, I'll put the two of these together then. I think the big the, the biggest question really is. Can the Jets build a proper supporting cast around Zach Wilson? And how do they best go about doing that? Now, my answer would be, I think you can probably fill safety and linebacker to at least some degree in free agency because those are two positions that are generally not that difficult to fill. I think going into the draft, you really need to hit on corner and edge rusher because those are very difficult positions to get difference makers past the early part of the draft. And then offensively, people have talked a lot about getting Zach Wilson his Stefan Diggs, which is amazing now. Stefan Diggs has been the guy that everybody says, 
you got a young quarterback, you got to get him a Stefan Diggs. As though those guys grow on trees. Like I heard people talk about Calvin Ridley like that. Calvin Ridley's a talented player. I wouldn't. I would be very hesitant to trade for him because of what happened this past year with him. I'm not sure that a guy who checked out of a season because of mental health issues is the right move for a team in the media in the media capital of the world where the spotlight's on you 24 seven. But the point is, he's not Stefan Diggs anyway. He's a good player, but he's not Stefan Diggs. And there's this whole thing that if you just get Stefan Diggs, uh, that's how Josh Allen got good as Stefan Diggs. <laughs> there was more to it than that. And I think if you watched that Bills playoff game, you saw that one player that stood out to me all season for the Bills, and that certainly stood out in that game, was Dawson Knox. And I think that getting Zach Wilson a playmaking tight end has got to be a huge priority because that's a lot of where the game is going. That's a lot of where the LaFleur offense really should be going and where you would assume it would go based on what he learned in San Francisco. Look at the impact that George Kittle has had For in sure. that offense. And so I I still think that while, yeah, a receiver, to me, getting a number one receiver is like having a really nice dessert after dinner. It's nice, but it's not my top priority. I think getting a, a playmaking tight end has got to be the top priority on offense. And I'm not saying that has to be paying Dalton Schultz a ton of money because I think people have gotten a little carried away with him. He's a nice player, but he's not much of a blocker. And, and he he's sort of more of a jumbo wide receiver, which is useful. But I think the Jets have got to really fix that. And, and they've got to fix those pieces on defense because ultimately you want to give Zach Wilson what he needs to succeed, but you also have to make the defense at least somewhat respectable because if the defense plays anywhere near this bad, barring Zach Wilson turning into really Josh Allen, well, this version of not year two Josh Allen, year three or year four Josh Allen next year, if the defense is anywhere near this bad, Joe Douglas is either on the hot seat or fired, Robert Sala is in hot water, and you're looking at potential changes again. So they've got to really fix those premium spots on defense and they have got to get that playmaking tight end and, and put some extra pieces around Wilson. So I think that's the biggest question that needs to be answered is, can they effectively do that? Well, and while they gear up to try to do it, you guys over at Play Like a Jet are going to have all of the content. And you're going to have every single day you're going to be bringing football fans draft talk and free agency talk and things that might kind of cross the boundaries of fandom into just other fan bases interest. So why don't you tell our listeners where they can find it all sure. and where they can follow you on social? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff. Like you said, some free agency stuff. And what I like to do this time of year is I do something called the free agency or I used to call it free agency, but now I've expanded it to just the off season round table. This is the fifth year I'm doing it where I get people from all different walks of life. So it could be somebody who covers the Jets. For example, one of the beat writers might come on and talk about what he thinks the Jets should do in the offseason. But I also uh, might have on somebody like Rob Sesternino, who's a two-time contestant on Survivor the world, but he's also a huge Jets fan. So I get an opportunity to talk to him and see what he thinks is just a normal, everyday fan, what the Jets should do. Or... I'll bring in Chris Moore, who's a sports talk host on WFAN, and get his perspective as somebody who is a longtime Jets fan but checked out a year or two ago because he just couldn't take the abuse anymore. Or Roger Clark, who's a two-time Emmy Award-winning reporter for New York One, 
also a huge Jets fan. So a wide variety of opinions, plus the usual. We're going to do some film reviews. There's one on our YouTube channel, too. Drew, I'm hoping that you can come on because at some point what I want to do is I'm going to see if I can get somebody from each of the division teams and break down what you guys think from the outside looking in, what you noticed from what the Jets did this past year, what you think as in uh, a rival or an opponent would be the best to prioritize and how you would approach it. Because I, I think the off season is really for conveying information about the draft and free agency, but also getting a wide variety of perspectives on where the jets are and where they should be going. So we're going to be doing a lot of that. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, Spotify, Follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And also, of course, you can check out our store at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got all kinds of fun shirts. We've got the Zach Wilson, Zach Says Go Long shirt, the Zach the Ripper shirt, Play Like a Jet logo shirt, John Franklin Myers, Quinn and Williams shirt. That's all there. We've got our YouTube channel, so check all of that out. But as I always like to say, guys, I have to quote one of the great philosophers of our time, NWO's Kevin Nash. Go to tpublic.com and buy the shirt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so as we move along... On our way up the ladder of the AFC East, it brings us to the Miami Dolphins, finishing in third place with a 9-8 record, third place in the AFC East, ninth in the AFC, and as always, here's Mr. Elf Artiaga to talk to us all about it. Elf, how do you feel just sitting here taking a look back at what the season was for the Miami Dolphins? Uh, I feel a little bit disappointed. I feel disappointed also that you know, you're referring to us as third because were we really third? <laughs> I thought we just had a lot of bad luck to not finish second again. Uh, I, I told you all year I felt that we were better than the New England Patriots. I still feel that way. Dolphins have a better roster. They proved it on the field. And with the mess that we create offensive line and running game, we still managed to only finish one game behind <clears throat> the New England Patriots. And we swept them. Okay. So, and we've beaten them four out of the last five, and we have a better record than them in the last four. 40 games, I believe it is right now. So, yeah, you know, it's a bit disappointing. They underachieved this season. I really do believe in those Vegas over-unders, and the over-under was at nine and a half games. You got to beat those. Uh, That's all I would ask from my coach. Like, if I were an owner and I met with my head coach before the season, 
he probably first of all he looked at me like if I was insane because I'm telling him, hey, you got to beat the Vegas over under, right? But I would tell him that. I tell him, you see that number? You see the total? It's nine and a half. Beat that. Hey, they didn't. I'll, so, I'll tell you, that's based on some of the stories that are coming out around the NFL about how front offices are ran and who's getting fired and who's getting uh, <laughs> who's getting let go and the stories that are coming out around that. That tactic probably isn't the craziest thing anybody's ever heard in relation to mandates given to coaches and the conversations that owners are having with coaches. I guess so, so just to put kind of a to put a tag on this, because it's one of the things I'm trying to define for each team. In your opinion, does this season, it sounds like you would pretty firmly label this because we've been asking success or failure. Is this season a failure in your eyes based on their inability to beat those Vegas under over? Yeah, uh, this season was a failure, and it was a failure on many, many counts. If you just look at the team in a vacuum in games where Tua started and finished, then okay, fine, yeah, they're 8-4, and four, but that does that's not how the NFL works, right? You got to have a backup quarterback. You got to win with your backup quarterback. Yeah, no. It's, with it's, Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback. And and that goes for the defense, too. Like, the defense didn't have an excuse just because the backup quarterback was starting to be so bad in some of those games, but they were. So, yeah, this season was an abject failure, really. That 8-4 record. It was a wasted opportunity to gain a little bit of uh, experience for the young guys. Well, that 8-4 record with Tua behind center, that actually kind of feeds into something, kind of the next bullet point here. What are two things? And I know it's it's probably difficult because you're you know you're defining a season as a failure, but what are the two most positive things that you learned about the Miami Dolphins in 2021? Uh the two most positive uh, I will go number 1, the talent on defense is real and it's young and it's pretty damn good because now it's two seasons of good play from a lot of these guys. And the other thing that we learned was their draft in 2021 was a home run. Like those first three picks were absolutely perfect. Uh, Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland, all three should be here for 10 years or more. So those are the two things I learned. If I'm going to add a third thing is that Tua regressed toward the end of the season. And obviously you got to blame him, right? Cause it's, he, he controls his own play, but also, the talent on offense was just not what we thought it was, or it was injured. Because let's face it, how much money did we leave on injured reserve? Oh my God! Will I mean, Fuller the, caught. the Will Fuller thing alone is egregious. When you think about dollars spent that didn't that didn't net you any benefit over the course of an entire season, I think we, yeah, I think we paid. What was it we paid? We paid eleven million dollars for three catches. And that's, I mean, that's that's going to be an albatross on any football team when you see that kind of investment made, and that's the return you get. It's it's really hard to bounce back from that because that eleven million dollars could have netted you two or three different players that could have at least been, if not game breakers, at least pieces that could make you a more competent offense. And so I really think that that was a gross expenditure of uh, just cap space on him. It was a bad gamble. It was a, it was a gamble, and it didn't go your way. Um, I, but just to back up for our listeners, just so you guys don't think, so some of the stuff he's talking about right now, their defense finished as second in the NFL in quarterback pressures on defense and third in pressure percentage. 
Now, the Buffalo Bills finished ahead of them in pressure percentage, but that kind of underscores what he's talking about in terms of look at all the young players, the Zach Sealers, the Jalen Phillips. You know, once he kind of hit his stride, he really started to click. That front seven was creating pressure on a fairly regular basis. And then when you look at the quarterback situation, Tua did regress a little bit, but I will say that when you looked at positives, it's that you guys made it to nine wins. You were 27th in scoring drive percentage. That means 27% of all of your drives ended, 27th in the NFL in the percentage of drives that ended in, know that you won as many games as you did with that kind of offensive futility, that should tell everybody what they need to know about what that unit on your team is capable of, right? Oh, absolutely. And and, and it's pretty much every part of it. Uh, the only thing that we had going on going for us on offense was our rookie, Jalen Waddell, and Gasecki. But even Mike Gasecki kind of disappeared the last month of the season. And... When you talk about a running game, sure. Yeah, we had a running game the last three weeks. We, we had a couple of 100-yard games from Duke Johnson. But it took them to go searching for running backs off the street in Duke Johnson and Philip Lindsay to even begin to have a semblance of a running game because they didn't have one all year. So uh, they made a lot of calculations in the preseason and in the offseason that ended up blowing up in their face. So out of, well, so out of all of those... What was the most negative development or storyline to come out in 2021 that you got to sit back and watch unfold for the Miami Dolphins? Well, they redid the offensive line, and and in the offseason, they jettisoned Eric Flowers. He, he goes on to have a decent season in Washington. They decide, you know what, we're not resigning Ted Karras, and we're going to go in, in-house for Michael Dieter. Problem was, Michael Dieter played well, but then he got injured and missed a uh, a portion of the season in the middle of the year, which ended up, you know, being an albatross for this team as they kept changing centers over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then decided, you know what? Uh, we're moving Robert Hunt to right guard. He ends up having a big year. But that, of course, moved Jesse Davis from right guard to right tackle. And I don't think I've ever seen a Dolphin play worse in my life. So, and then you had also the regression of Austin Jackson. So it was it was the complete reworking of the offensive line, which I don't think they made one good decision there. Not not a one. I guess you could point to Robert Hunt that he's, you know, he's probably a, a pretty nice player going forward, possible pro bowler. But at what expense? He was actually fine at right tackle. You moved him out of right tackle, you make him you make him a right guard. He plays well, but look at the hole you created at right tackle. So, yeah, uh, it was the offensive line. Uh, They did not make a single decision there that worked this year. The most memorable game for you, you personally, it doesn't have to be for the entire fan base, just you personally and how you watch and and kind of enjoy your football team, what was the most memorable one that you'll walk away with in the next season thinking about? Okay, uh, two. There's two games, okay? One, memorable as in it ran the full gamut. It had to have been that Raider game. Uh, you went from utter domination, the offense looking kind of you know competent, our defense dominating to our, a complete defensive collapse in the second half. And then, of course, the infamous pass interference call, and actually two pass interference calls we did not get, which kind of cost us the game. And in the end, it cost us a playoff spot because they actually played in our place. 
<laughs> the Raiders. So it would have been us playing the Bengals and not the Raiders uh, on Saturday. And then as far as one where I was actually happy with the way that they played, they absolutely eviscerated the, the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Uh, you may not know this, but the Baltimore Ravens have been an albatross around the Dolphins' necks for five years. Every time we play them, it's just a beatdown waiting to happen. This time we were the ones giving up the beatdown, and that was nice to say. I mean, that's – man, That's that, that game was fun to watch. I don't know if it – I don't know if – Chris, there's not a lot of Dolphins games that we go out of our way to watch. Really. No. No. But uh, the fat guy touchdown that your offensive lineman scored in that game, or was it the defensive lineman? Who was it? Who was it who scooped? All I know is I remember watching. Yeah, it was the offensive lineman. Scoops a ball. Yeah, Robert Hunt. First of all, he's gigantic. To, he's too big to have those wheels. <laughs> and if you're a defensive back and you see that guy wheeling towards you like that, I don't even know how you attempt to tackle him. <laughs> for me and it was also it was and let's face it it was also a moment of in, of complete insanity <laughs> because we were setting up we were setting up a, a, a screenplay to miles gaskin if you watch the play miles gaskin is waiting for the ball to come down to him as Tua lobs it over the head of, of their linebacker and robert hunt comes flying out of nowhere to just pluck it out of the air and starts running all over the field to try to score with it and actually does score with it. So yeah, the dive. You know, I think yeah, the dive at the play. end of the but play, but completely illegal. Oh, of course, completely illegal, but I almost feel like it's one of the, and I think that's why I'll remember it forever because I'm one of those people who, when I see something that's that cool, I almost don't give a shit about the rules anymore. I say to myself, I'm like, you know what? That guy running through that defensive secondary and then like, the like I'm gonna do a flip into the end zone. The, I almost feel like the ref should have come out of the huddle and just been like, "Look, like think about back in that game. Uh, it was the Rams Seahawks game where the guy punted the ball twice. You remember? Do you, you recall that earlier in the yes. season? Yes. When you get together and you come back and you say, "Listen, we're not even really sure what to call that, so we're just gonna let it stand." I don't know why you can't do it in this moment because at least this one was cool. At least this one was something cool that I'll, I mean, I'll never forget that watching that play. It's going to be something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember a play against the the Brett Favre-led Jets where Brett Favre went back to pass, threw the ball, and it got batted right back into his face. But he caught it, rolled out, and then hit, uh, I forgot who the hell it was, for like a 60-yard touchdown. And it started jumping up and down, and I'm staring at the screen like, are these idiots? Do these idiots understand you can't throw the ball twice forward? <laughs> and sure enough, you know the they, the flag was on the field. But I just remember them like running up and uh, jumping up and down like it, they had actually done something. <laughs> so, walking away from this all, season's over. You guys know where you're slotted for the draft. You've got question marks in a lot of different places. What is the biggest question for the 2022 offseason for the Miami Dolphins? Uh, it's obviously the offense, and they have to get a they have to get a, a head coach. And we don't know where they're slotted for the draft because it seems like the 49ers are hell bent on winning the Super Bowl. So, and <laughs> that, remember, that we own true. their pick. That is true. Yeah, they're so we can pick 32nd, and there's heavy rumors going around here that uh, when I say around here, it's Miami that if. The 49ers do way too much with this pick. 
that they're just going to look to trade it for an established player. You know, mm. so we shall see what they can get for a late first round pick. But that's the rumor down here that they'll just you know they'll punt on the on the draft altogether in the first round and just trade the pick. So that's interesting to watch. But yeah, it's the offense. Uh, defense is young. There's nowhere else to go. Like, what else are you going to add on the defense? I guess you can add some depth at linebacker. But the rest of the defense is young. Uh, the only quote-unquote old guys are Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, and both of them are under 29. So, Is there any concern that this success that we were just talking about might backslide a little bit depending on who they bring in as coach and who they decide to staff that side of the ball? They have three coaches on staff, which are under, okay. they're under contract for another year. He, whatever coach they hire. And those three guys are Josh Borer, who's the, the defensive coordinator, uh, Austin Clark, our defense uh, defensive line coach, and Gerald Alexander, who's, you know, he's kind of like the hot prospect uh, as far as coaching goes around. He's our secondary's coach. We want to keep those three guys. If you keep those three guys, those three guys can just keep the continuity on defense and keep building on what they've done so far. That's the hope, right? No, that's all you can ask for. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out for you. But one of the things I like about what you guys do over at Three Yards Per Carry is that this is kind of, I mean, obviously you guys cover the Dolphins and you do it really well. But now is when you guys get to, because you guys are draft Knicks. You really are. You guys, I can tell just based on the way you do this, you enjoy this piece of the process. Maybe just as much as you enjoy watching the kind of the fruits of all that labor get put out there in the football field. So this is the time of year when you guys are out there digging into draft stuff, turning out draft profiles and content and talking about different prospects. And so that's kind of where for our fan base, your show actually becomes more accessible than it typically is, because now it's not just, hey, I'm scouting an opponent and I'm, you know, being or as we do, just being petty, <laughs> trying to soak up their misery as much as we can. Now it's. There's information out there that's actually applicable to things that you're we're curious about and that we're interested in and that our listeners might actually care about. So in that way, why don't you tell them where they can follow you guys on Twitter, maybe some of the stuff you have coming up for the offseason and uh, where they can find your show. Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at the number three yards per carry. You could hear our show on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you get your, your podcast, you could get it. It's three yards per carry. You want to follow me? It's Alf underscore Artiaga. And yeah, sure enough, uh, free agency is about what a little under two months away. That's when we'll probably ramp up a little bit. And of course, draft season we go twice a week, and we will be in Las Vegas for nice. the the 2022 NFL Draft. We will be broadcasting every single day from Las Vegas on Draft Week. And we will have also one of us, Simon Clancy, will be at the Senior Bowl. I just got prodded by that, so. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, we're everywhere. Uh, like, like everywhere you turn in the football world, we will be there, except in the Super Bowl. Because I don't know, I don't think that we're, we're credentialed this year, although we were last year. And so, finally, to put a bow on the, uh, the divisional competition, we have Mr. Mike Debate. Probably, Chris, can I, I think this is fair, our listeners' favorite Patriots guests for the season? Yeah, it's... It's insane. And the, the amount of feedback we've gotten back about this guy, it's 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 been great. I love that he's here to talk about the Patriots who went ten, who finished the season with a 10 and 7 record, right? Or 10 what is it? 11 and 7? 11 and 7. 11 and 7. I think Se- ten, 10 and 7, 10 and 7, 10 7, 7 call 17 it, games. Call it if you know. Second in the AFC East, sixth in the AFC. 
And their season is regrettably over. Regrettably, Mike. So regrettably. I, I hate that we had to do it to you. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. Yeah, you sound really broken up. That uh, the, the New England Patriots season ended at the hands of the Buffalo Bills in Orchard Park on Saturday night. Look, two plus decades, uh, frustration built up. Uh, yeah, I and mean, I can I say that it would have been any different if the situation were reversed? Absolutely not. Bills were the better team on Saturday night. Live it up. They they deserve to win. <laughs> So when we look back at the 2021 season for the for the New England Patriots, because this is a it's a variable, right? This question, depending, it all depends on what your vantage point was entering the season. Do you define 2021 as a success or a failure? I think a lot of fans after the game would probably said that 2021 was a failure because it didn't live up to the expectation that a lot of people had set during that seven game winning streak. Look, the level headed Patriots fan, and I know Buffalo doesn't think there's a lot of those out there, but there are some, believe me. And uh, the ones that uh, that I get a chance to interact with on a daily basis generally do have a level head and they would agree with me that. I believe 2021 was a success. Look, New England finished 7-9 and nine in 2020. A lot of upheaval, a lot of question marks surrounding the quarterback position coming in this year. Were they going to hand the keys to the kingdom over to a rookie that needed some work, looked to be somewhat pro-ready, but still had his question marks? Or were they going to go with a veteran that didn't quite live up to expectation last year? There was a lot of uncertainty there. The New England Patriots in you know the final moments of cut-down time uh, before the season started chose to go with Mac Jones over Cam Newton. And look, when you go with a rookie quarterback, you're going to get rookie mistakes. The problem with the Patriots is the rookie mistakes happened exactly when you don't need them to happen, at the beginning of the season and at the end of the season. And unfortunately, that really is just the way it shook out for the Patriots. But they're building a solid nucleus. They're building a core there. Uh, there are uh, you know bright spots on the offensive side of the ball, some bright spots on defense. A loss like the one that they suffered on Saturday night will sting, and it's supposed to sting. And in a lot of ways it will either make or break what the Patriots are about to become. When you got Bill Belichick at the helm, you have to think that they're going to use that as a teaching lesson uh, and an opportunity to grow, but we'll see. Ultimately, it's going to be what they do in 2022 that's going to define this group of Patriots. But all in all, I think it was a successful season for the Pats. Get back in the playoffs, finish with a winning record, and prove that they're still a force to be reckoned with in the AFC, maybe not championship caliber, maybe not division championship caliber, but they're going to hang around and make things interesting for the top level teams. And Chris, it's an interesting dynamic that he mentions because we talked about it in this week's uh, preview of our matchup this weekend with the Kansas city chiefs, that it was probably the adversity that we ran into last season in that AFC championship game that kind of gave this team a little sandpaper between our quarterback, between our skill players, it made them a little bit rougher. It toughened them up to some of their harsh realities of football and actually, I think, allowed them to come out of their midseason slump at the time that they did to where now they're firing on all cylinders and they have no mercy about it. They've, to, I know you're a Cobra Kai fan, so they, they, it's literally <laughs> like, it's literally like um, uh, Johnny Lawrence's son where he switches over from Miyagi-Do to Cobra Kai. That was what our team did from last year to this year. They said, listen, hey, we, we're, we're happy to be here. We're thrilled. We're this fun, offensive team. And then they got punched to the mouth. 
and it sucked. And so they came back a little bit rougher around the edges version of what they were last year. And that seems to be helping them. So <laughs> I know you love that show. I did the, the, uh, Oh, you got to love it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah, 80s, absolutely. The, the 80s and, and references alone. The, the, the meme that I, <laughs> and anybody that saw the meme that I put out on uh, social media during the game, you know, don't, don't just, st- you could just stand there and let them kick your ass. Yeah. That's pretty much what was happening you know, on Saturday yeah. night. So yeah, definitely. There was, there was a time where the Buffalo Bills grabbed the New England Patriots by the lapel and said, now the real pain begins, Danny boy. <laughs> they were ready to, to inflict it. And, and, and they did. I mean, on in all three phases. So what was the most positive thing that you learned about the New England Patriots in 2021? I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes, especially uh, the fan base in Buffalo. But the one thing that I learned with the New England Patriots is despite some questionable coaching strategies this year, despite poor execution, a lot of self-inflicted miscues on this team as well. Those are a lot of the reasons why the Patriots struggled at certain times this year. Uh, But the play of quarterback Mac Jones is not one of the things that concerns me moving forward with this team. Yes, there are elements of his game that need to develop. There are, you know, uh, you know, things that need to happen in order for him to really grow into his potential. One of those is surrounding him with the supporting cast that's going to be able to give him the tools that he needs to be able to succeed. But I do see poise and I do see a calmness that he's able to utilize in tough moments to be able to lead his team and to raise his team out of difficult situations. Mac tried to do the best he could of that in the opening drive. You look at it, he, you know, he hits uh, Hunter Henry for a 30-yard gain, extends his, uh, you know, the play with his legs for 16 yards. He came in with a little bit of a purpose and he ran with a little bit of poise and precision. The problem was is there just wasn't enough around him and the other part of it was they ran into it extremely difficult Buffalo Bills defense that was perfectly schemed in order to be able to stop Mac. Uh, that blitzing from the second and third level of the defense is something that he's really struggling with. Uh, he'll work on that in the offseason. But in terms of a positive, I think the Patriots can walk away from this season knowing that the number 15 pick that they spent on Mac Jones was an investment well done, and they can continue to grow on that moving forward. Oh, for sure. Chris, who would you take in a redraft of this if you were just talking about quarterback needy teams? When you look at how the board fell, if you saw what Zach Wilson was for the Jets, and I know we just got done talking about this with Scott. Well, where you land matters. I know. but Exactly. Where you land, coaching staff, what you have at your disposal. But if you could have had the... Co- at no point this season did Zach Wilson show the composure that no. Mac Jones did. But Mac Jones has been in big moments. Meanwhile, Zach Wilson lost against, what, Coastal Carolina in some nondescript bowl game that cost you money, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's a thing that happened. Justin Fields had his problems. Trey Lance barely saw the field. Meanwhile, here's Mac Jones piloting a team that at one point held the lead in its division. Now, some of that you can say was team-oriented, but also it it speaks to the level of poise the kid had. And to Mark's point, to Mike's point well, about Mac Jones' Mac Jones's opening drive, when he throws that deep ball that gets intercepted by Micah Hyde, if Micah Hyde doesn't take the perfect angle on that ball, Mike, is that or is that not a touchdown to Nelson Aguilar? Because it's right in the basket. Yeah, that was right there. I mean, you can you really can't ask for a rookie quarterback. You really can't ask for a lot of other 
quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, maybe a quarterback as seasoned as a Brady or a Rodgers or a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes can put that on absolutely the tip of the pin to get it where it needed to be. But Mac threw that ball as well as mostly any quarterback in the league could possibly do. You've got to give props to Micah Hyde. That was a tremendous play. To me, one of the most impressive plays of the night, and that really set the tone. If that gets completed and that touchdown happens, you get a 7-7 game. At this point, you don't know how either team is going to respond. What does it do to the psyche of the Buffalo Bills? What does it do to the New England Patriots? Does it give them confidence to start playing at a whole new level? That was really the tone setter. So credit a lot to Micah Hyde for just making a tremendous play on that ball. For me, I saw that pass and I go, the big narrative about him has been he can't throw the ball deep. Well, I just watched him do it and mm-hmm. it was it was dead on accurate. Yeah. And it just yep. didn't fall his way. But that does, and then the the run for a first down, that was the other one. I mean, the Hunter Henry thing was kind of a broken coverage, but the run, I go, I thought this guy was Joe Flacco. I thought he was statuesque. <laughs> And then I watch him kind of awkwardly run for that first down, and I go, he understands the moment. He goes, I'm going up against a quarterback who's going to run for about 80 yards today. I need (laughs) to also contribute. And so I'm going to try. Even though it's not my forte, I'm going to go out there and do what's necessary to win. That's what Tom did. And I understand some of that talk. Like, that seems conflated when people hear it. But Tom Brady would do whatever it took to win win again. And that's what you saw a little bit from Mac on Saturday. So I, I do have a new level of respect for the kid. Now, what's the most negative development or storyline that came out of this season for you in terms of the build of this football team? Uh, defensive breakdowns to me. I think that's one of the most disheartening things. Look, you can talk about special teams miscues all you want to. Uh, there are coaching issues there and there was just execution issues. Those will be cleared up in the off season. And that's not to say that there's going to be a coaching change on special teams, but I think Cam Atchard is going to come in with a newfound, uh, you know, um, maybe fire under him to be able to correct those mistakes that we saw this year. So I'm not so much worried about special teams miscues. They'll be able to, to write that ship but the defensive breakdowns were alarming to me especially uh the linebackers who just looked to be a step too slow uh they really are looking their age kyle van noy had difficulty making coverage matt judon was not the same player down the stretch i don't know if maybe there was an underlying injury or maybe covid fog or something to that effect that disallowed him from being able to live up to his potential down the stretch uh juan bentley looked like he was having difficulty again in coverage um, so th- there was a lot that really uh, contributed to that. Uh, Dante Hightower just looked to be a step too slow. They need an infusion of speed at that position. If they want to try to be able to compete with some of the mobile quarterbacks and the dual threat type quarterbacks like a Josh Allen, who's in their division, is not going anywhere anytime soon. This kid is only getting better. He hasn't even peaked yet, and that's a scary, scary proposition for the New England Patriots. Uh, they need an infusion of speed there. And then on the cornerback position, uh, they need help at the coverage level. Uh, there's no question about it. Whether or not J.C. Jackson is back as your top corner next year, I think the Patriots will try to do all they can to retain him, but there's not much else deeper than that. John Jones is going to come back from a difficult injury. Will he be the same player? Um, is Jalen Mills someone that they can rely on at the opposite end of the cornerback uh, squad? And then depth, 
you know, Jawan Williams is absolutely torched by Emmanuel Sanders. And I've always loved Emmanuel's game, but he's not the speedster. Uh, doesn't have the speed that he no. used to have. Uh, I mean, and absolutely no. just blew by Jawan Williams. You have to wonder if his days are numbered in New England. Um, so, you know, Sean Wade, he's a rookie. There's been issues there. Is he going to round into form? The New England Patriots have defensive questions and this was supposed to be the strength of this team. And down the stretch, they could not rely on their their defense to get stops when needed. And when you have a rookie quarterback, it's so important for the defense to set the tone. Patriots didn't have it, and that's why they got blown out in a lot of uh, you know their final few games, uh, simply because they just didn't have uh, the buy-in on the defensive side of the ball. So now you kind of you kind of leapfrog. I love this is why I love talking to professionals because you leapfrogged. I hadn't answered one of the questions I already had, which is what what are some of the biggest offseason questions? It's how they fix this defense. How do you bring this defense back to prominence? Because it's been the hallmark of what have been all of the great Bill Belichick teams. Short of Tom Brady carrying the offense, even when Tom Brady wasn't great, your defense could still steal you some games. And in this season, that Mm -hmm. did not prove to be true. So I guess the only question I have left is, what was your most memorable game of 2021? You personally, just for you, for reasons only you can explain, what's the game that you're going to walk away from this going, I remember that game? Uh, I'm going to have to go back to week four, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, and uh, uh, New England Patriots. Uh, It was a loss, I mean, obviously, but just being in Gillette Stadium, seeing Tom Brady return after 20 years of excellence up here in New England, seeing him return in a different uniform was different. Uh, It was unique. Uh, watching the way that team responded and watching the way, um, you know, they really kind of kept the game close. The New England Patriots were reeling at that point, coming off of a bad loss to the New Orleans Saints. A lot of people were wondering whether or not they were going to be able to really, uh, you know, rally and get to where they needed to be. They kept it very close against the defending champions and especially in an emotional game. You saw Mac Jones make plays and really kind of show that he can step up on the biggest stage when he needs to. There's still a lot of room to grow at that point, but that's going to be the takeaway from me this season. It was, and I think really it was kind of a metaphor for the entire season for the new England Patriots. They'll be close. They're right there. Uh, They're looking, they're knocking on the door of being a prominent team again, but at the end of the day, they just fell short of being able to be what they need to be. They ran into a much better team in the Buccaneers, a juggernaut uh, that they, you know, took toe to toe in that game, but they didn't quite do it Uh, a little bit different in the way they ended the season. They ran into a much better team and absolutely got it handed to them (laughs) in every aspect. But that's kind of what the New England Patriots season really was. It was getting to the level, getting back to where a lot of people thought they could be, but they're not quite there yet. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. It's been a fun season, sir. We were talking about this earlier. We've had some of the, since we started this podcast, we've had some of the best array of guests on here. What I love is that between you, Scott, and Elf, the three guys we had on tonight, you guys really did, I think, bring the most in terms of our listener interaction. Like They would approach us and be like, hey, this Debate guy, he's great, but you're saying his name wrong. (laughs) We would talk about it and be like, well, he says we can call him that. And you know me, if you give me a cookie, I'm going to take it. I'm going to ask for a glass of milk. I'm going to keep doing it. So 
it's just been fun knowing that we got to have this podcast again for a second season and that it was just as much fun as it was the first time around. And we actually got to know you guys a little bit better. We got to learn more about how you process the game of football and the things you guys like, don't like, how you see your own football teams. And I think that it's made us all a little better and smarter in terms of football fans having this experience to get the view over the fence into our neighbor's backyard. With that being said, where can people find your upcoming podcast works? What do you have coming up over at Lockdown Patriots and over at Patriots Maven? And where can people find you on social? Well, again, folks, thank you so much for allowing me uh, into a brief part of your day. I know it's not easy for Buffalo Bills fans to recognize a Pats guy, but uh, the feedback that I get from being a guest on this pod is truly something that means an awful lot to me. It really and truly does. And, uh, you know, like I said before, there's a lot of respect between myself and the Bills Mafia, and they're building a tremendous team there. And this is a team that's going to be right in the thick of things uh, for uh, not only a conference title, division title, but uh, for a Super Bowl title for a number of years to come. So best of luck to you guys this weekend. Uh, you can find me on the Bird app at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L. Uh, all of my written work is found at Patriot Maven SI. A lot of draft content still to come, but right now we're wrapping up the season. Uh, you know, biggest needs offensively, defensively, a lot of that evaluation is going on. And, of course, all of that evaluation each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga, Mike Tabate. They are the three faces of fear of the <laughs> AFC East. <laughs> if by three faces of fear you mean scared? Yeah. You mean to tell me that some writers group for, for whatever wrestling nonsense you're talking about actually WCW in the mid 90s with Kevin Sullivan and Earthquake, who was renamed a different tropical storm. <laughs> and then uh, the Ed Leslie, who was Brutus, Brutus Beefcake in one of his dumb WCW gimmicks that he had. I think it was like the Zodiac or the uh, man with no name or the booty man. Wait, the booty man? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah, that was a real th- that was a real gimmick by Ed Leslie. This is why I'm really happy that I only paid attention to like a small window of wrestling in my life because if I had to be subjected to a Monday Monday Night Nitro with the booty man, I probably That was a thing. Yeah, there was probably kids walking around wearing that t-shirt. I don't know if he was good enough to have his own apparel, but Jesus. See, now at this stage of my life, I would almost wear it to be ironic. Like, yeah, that's my favorite wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> but we obviously end with the Buffalo Bills, who finish in first place in the AFC East with an 11-6 and record, and their final record in standing in the AFC is yet to be determined. Because, Chris, we're still in the damn show. We are still climbing that ladder. And hopefully that doesn't end this weekend. Now we had our preview show where we talked about Kind of the ins and outs of that matchup and just how we felt about it. Um, We've just just an amazing win over the Patriots that kind of lands us where we are today. But when you look back at this, Chris, I want want your opinion for this. Success or failure for the Buffalo Bills in 2021? Do you believe that you can already determine the answer to that question? Or do you think it's contingent on what happens this weekend? I think it's a success. We won the division again. When have we ever done that in our drinking lifetime? We've been in the playoffs four out of McDermott's five years. Mm-hmm. Like, we're on a successful run. We want to be able to make deep playoff runs. I think 
this weekend will keep proving that. I just I think the season's a success. See, I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't think, especially, and I'll tell you this: if we had done this podcast last week, I, I might have had a little bit of a different answer for you. I might have I might have had to say it's TBD. But sitting here today, after watching what happened on Saturday, I. I'd be hard pressed to call this. You know, Patriots fans like to say it like it's an insult. Oh, that was your Super Bowl. Blah, 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 blah. You're right, it was. For all the reasons that during our recap show we kind of explained, because it illustrated that we've established ourselves as the new standard in this division. When you, I mean, what couldn't you back to back division titles? And in the process, you got to see how big the gap is between our team and everybody else. You went eleven and one in the division over the last two seasons. I mean, what were four and five, including playoffs against Belichick, the last five? Yeah. So, and then when you look at the way that that game ended, and you got to take into account that we've now gone the only team in NFL history to go eight quarters without punting against Bill Belichick ever. Yeah, we what? we played the perfect game, perfect That's, offensive game. We just established the fact that it's not a fluke, right? The first time you could go, oh, it's a fluke, and they had a great game. You do it twice. I don't know what you can say about that. When you sweep the Miami Dolphins pretty emphatically, neither one of those games were close, or at least up for debate, right? Yeah. You, I mean, one of them, we just knocked their quarterback out. So even when Josh was struggling, you go, listen, we knocked your quarterback out, your backup sucks, and oh, by the way. Oh, by the way, our defense is still good. I just don't know how you could see this, given the dynamic that just kind of really cements, it was cemented on Saturday as anything but a success. Now, Chris, what's the most positive thing that you learned about this team this season? Um, Jesus. Allen's the man, and last season wasn't a goddamn fluke. I shit you not. That's literally what's written down here on my notes. That 2020 was not a fluke. Chris, great minds, brother. Give it up. (laughs) Josh Allen is continuing to play football late in the season at an absurdly high level. Not just statistically, but just in the different ways that he finds... The way he finds opportunities and takes advantage of them that lead our team to victory. Our defense continues to be one of the NFL's most dominant units, and it actually got younger this offseason with the defensive line additions we made, but maintained stellar production despite the loss of Trey White. When we lost Trey White, Chris, I we sat here and talked about it on this podcast with Greg Thompson from Cover One about how I was going to li- he he implored me, listen to our postgame show. I will kind of talk you through this. And I started and I said, Nope, I need three more glasses of bourbon and the entirety of Slipknot's Iowa album before I'm in the right headspace for anyone to try to talk me off this cliff. And you go from where we were then to where we are now. Chris, that game, I mean, I get it. We didn't need it. The Patriots don't have any overwhelming offensive threats the way some of the teams that we're going to play do. But you just demolished a Patriots team and didn't need twice and didn't need Trey White. At least for the purposes of your own division, that has to make everybody feel pretty damn good, doesn't it? Yeah. We outclassed everybody. 
We got younger in the process. We found out Dane Jackson, all that lip service that uh, Brandon Bean, all the me yelling about Steve Nelson not being signed, him picking the Eagles for $4 million, us undervaluing the CB2 position. I think Brandon Bean's been proven right about his uh, decision to just stick with the cheap draft pick and just watch him develop. I don't know about that. We'll have to talk to Bruce Nolan. We'll have to, to get it. Well, yeah. we'll have to get Bruce Nolan <laughs> for official CB2 confirmation. But in terms of a depth piece that can be productive when you desperately need somebody and there's no good answers left, he's come through in spades for us. Yeah. Now, on the other side of the coin, what's the most negative storyline to come out of this season for you? The thing that you look at and that you're, you'll probably walk away from this year the most disappointed about? Oh, God. 100% it's you. <laughs> It's you. How so? Expand for our listeners. You and your negativity. All I mean, I get that it's in, it's in the moment and specific to what's happening. Like that that uh, the tool bag that that tweeted. You were yeah, tweeting. Some guy, some you were tweeting specifically about the Colts game. And some guy went through our uh, Twitter feed to pick up a tweet from the Colts game about how playing with the that the team had no physicality and that that was the type of play that was going to get us killed at some point. And decided that was the hill he was going to pick to die on when he came at me on Twitter. And I go, look, dude, I don't care. It's some. I'm not embarrassed. Otherwise, I would have deleted it. I mean, this is probably Chris. It's probably that kind of stuff that has us blocked by Richie Incognito. Uh, yeah, probably. Like, but you mostly in the sense of Brian. Like Brian Dable's a great fucking coordinator, and you know, oh I'm, man, ass- I- I'm assuming well, I'm assuming we're gonna lose him. You know, if he was smart, he would. If he gets offered the Bears job, that would be the the one to go to. But uh, yeah, he. We had some offensive adversity in the middle of the season, and now it's come together. And it might be because of that offensive line, adding in Rick Bates and well, getting getting our best five. It took you know all season to get our best starting five. But so to your point, my overwhelming negativity on game day. We joke about it all the time. Game day Drew versus Sunday Drew versus Tuesday Drew. Yeah, it's 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 Jekyll and Hyde. Not always. Because sometimes I am still fired up when I get here. For those of you who don't have the, uh, Chris, what can I say, the the luxury of getting to watch me watch football. Yeah, that is a luxury. It's a show. It's, it's my, my wife just refers to it as the Drew Gear Show. She goes, that's why our basement is full of people. She goes, I don't understand it. I don't understand why people enjoy watching you just get manic about football. And yet here, she goes, but no one ever stops coming. No one ever stops showing up for it. Including you, Chris. Yeah, well, you know, I work now <sighs> on Sundays. So so to your point, I think for me, the most disappointing aspect of this team over the course of the season was the offensive line. I think you hit that on the head. I think that if I'm if I wish we had done anything differently, it would have been that this team and there, there's reason to almost be a little bit fearful that. There's re- there's real reasons to kind of almost fear that this team, right? Chris, there is no perfect GM. There's no perfect GM who knows how to build every single facet of a football team in the salary cap era. It doesn't exist. You know, some some GMs say hey, this is how I want my and GM and coaches. I mean, I think of anything. Our coach and GM are in perfect lockstep with one another, and it's the reason for our franchise's success here recently. But 
sometimes that philosophy, when you say this is how we're going to build our football teams, because these are the things we prioritize and everything else, we're just going to kind of fill in when we have the money, when we have the draft capital, whatever the case may be. You know, Chris, the thing I got Greg Thompson all riled up about the fact that we double dipped at defensive end in the draft this year instead of drafting Creed Humphrey. Yep. When that was interior offensive line was a need, but we have ignored it because we had people on the roster like Cody Ford. I think that got more amplified during the season because of how many games Basham was a healthy scratch. Oh, and I'm positive of that. I am. I, I agree with your take on that. But what I'll say is, is that I think there's reason to just look at it and say this is a team that thinks to themselves we have and the numbers would bear some of this out. We have one of the, the uh, Josh Elm was the most pressured quarterback in the league, yet he finished 27th in sacks. Why is that? Because he's a supreme athlete. And so that gives them this feeling that they can continue playing loose and fast with the offensive line. We had a number of games this year that I think were winnable. If you, I could even get a decent, an NFL caliber performance out of the offensive line, the Jacksonville game is probably the most glaring. When you had to call in your backups and there's a play where Josh Allen throws a pick under pressure because all three of your offensive linemen blocked the same guy. That's inexcusable. I mean, we're not the Dolphins, right? We're supposed to be a better team than that. Yeah. But there were games this year where our offensive line played just as poorly as theirs has all season. And that's frustrating. But it's something that we're going to have to get used to because I don't see this franchise being one that says, hey, as much as our as much as much our fan base might like to see us go out and spend three high draft picks on interior offensive linemen this season, I, I get, get your pillows ready, the screaming portion of our fan base, because there's a good chance that they're probably going to draft another defensive player in the first round. Or maybe a wide receiver or what? an offensive lineman. I just think that I don't want to call it a blind spot. What I want to say is that they look at what they have and say, this is a place where we can kind of play it cheap. And this is just what you're all going to have to deal with. And me coming to that realization might be the most disappointing thing for me because I can you imagine what we could do if we had a Jonathan Taylor and a Quinnen Nelson and uh, just if we could build the front or Zeke Elliott and the Cowboys offensive line from the last, not this season, but the last couple. Yeah. Any one of the dynamic rushing teams over the last five, ten seasons. If we could have that dynamic and pair it with this quarterback, this team would be unstoppable. And yet it's not something that they're outwardly prioritizing. And so it's just it's frustrating to me. And that's. That's the only negative thing I can walk away from this season with. Chris, your most memorable game from 2021, the one that you're going to remember the most. I don't know, probably the Falcons game, because that was the one that I was able to go to and tailgate. True. You were at that whole game. I'm surprised you didn't say the wild card game. No, no, because I wasn't there. The tailgate I was not there for the tailgate. For me, it's definitely that one because of the tailgate, which if you haven't heard our recap podcast, it was it was Chris, I don't legendary bucket list tailgate, the type of tailgate that I think most people wish wish for the who are especially out of towners wish for the opportunity to have once or twice in their entire life. We got to have one and it, it was everything I wanted more. And then the, the game came and it was just this euphoria of my team is the standard in this division now. <laughs> it really is. It, I think that that alone 
makes it the best game of the year, the one that I'll remember the most, the one I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. So the biggest question for us heading into 2022, in your opinion, regardless of how the rest of the postseason shakes out. Say it again. The biggest question of the 2022 offseason. I'm going to say. Short of where to play in the goddamn Lombardi parade, because that's happening. That's happening. And it's going to be the longest thing ever. Do they just go down Bailey? I think Bailey Avenue is the longest street in Buffalo. It starts in Amherst and goes all the way down into South Buffalo and down into. Well, you don't, you don't, you don't want the parade to get stolen <laughs> if it's on Bailey. You don't want that to happen. <laughs> you'll you'll get it stolen. You can't go all the way. You'd have to go like North Buffalo Bailey, like Main Street Bailey North, but which is not. There's a whole bunch of roadway after <laughs> Bailey and Maine. All right. Uh, so your biggest question besides the Super Bowl parade? Probably going into 22. I want to know if they're going to. I'm kind of with uh, with the Bruce Nolan here. Like, you know, a lot of people might point after what happens on Sunday. You know, we there might be a narrative of we might have been able to stop them if we had. Trey White, because this Kansas City offense has the ability to expose Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace. So there could be a narrative coming out of Sunday if we lose that, man, we missed Trey White, and why didn't we have a CB2? So I would like a a CB2 for the offseason. I think the biggest question is how do you organizationally? I mean, there's a curse to winning in the NFL. If you do too well as an organization for too long, people come sniffing around trying to see if they can't steal the secret sauce, right? Yeah. It's almost like a good burger. And what was the other burger? Burger joint? I don't know. Yeah. I'd call in if you know. But they're always trying to replicate what you do, even if they can't pull it off. Even if their execution of it, it's going to be just absolute shit. Bad football organizations will come around and try to steal some of what you have. When we built this football team, one of the biggest things that came out of it is that we stocked our front office with people, with football people who were widely regarded as like, that's kind of where this big baller bean thing came out, came from, was you looked at what Brandon Bean had done and he kind of went around and took all of these guys who in their own right could have been assistant GM candidates and GM candidates and said, listen, you're going to join my cabinet. You're going to join my cabinet and we're going to run this football team and we're going to make it a powerhouse from the ashes of obscurity. And somehow he snake charmed them into it. And we've had Chris, our drafts have been better than they've been for 20 years. Our free agency decisions have been smarter. Our player development, our, our pro personnel scouting, everything has been better than it's been for 20 years because we've built a cabinet of decision makers who are spot on. We've we've developed coordinators. We helped Leslie Frazier rehab his image. You know, D- Brian Dable's being interviewed by multiple football teams this offseason for the second year in a row. Now, last year, teams walked away from him, probably because their attitude, and I, we speculated about this before, that their attitude was, what did you do to make Josh Allen good? And when they found out that Josh Allen did a lot of the heavy lifting, fixing his own mechanics, they cooled on him. 
But what if that's not like, what if a second time around they go, okay, you managed to fix this team and you developed a running game when you needed it at the end of the season and you did some different things with a bad offensive line situation over the course of a season. This is where people come for your talent in those regards. I I want to know that the Buffalo Bills, I mean, I think that that's the biggest question is, can we continue this success that we've had as a franchise when Joe Shane starts interviewing for the Jets GM job and he leaves your organization? And when a Brian Dable leaves your organization, have you coached up Ken Dorsey? Is he ready to step up as offensive coordinator? I believe so. How much does your system change? These are the like these are the questions that success brings you. Those for me are the biggest ones. First of all, how many losses are we actually going to sustain? If we lost our defensive coordinator and our offensive coordinator, mind you, the only defensive coordinator Sean McDermott's ever had. That, do we maintain continuity in the performance of these units in their ability to prepare for game day? I don't know. I think that in and of itself is if, just seeing who leaves and then who we hire to fill those roles. If we were to lose Les- Leslie Frazier, I mean, you know McDermott's, I think I think first two phone calls are going to be to Vic Fangio or Mike Zimmer. Yeah, I would hope so. I just, I just wonder, right? And I wonder what the future holds for those units. Those are the things I'm going to be watching like a hawk when this season ends. Hopefully it's not this weekend. But guys, we're going to find out. Make sure you go check out our recap podcast and our preview podcast. And if this is the last time we get to do one of these shows, well, the Buffalo Bills are still in like contention for something, right? Yep. It's been a Chris, this podcast, this AFC's roundup has had a really great second year. I almost feel like this was better than the first, don't you? Yeah. I I just I really enjoy this. I really enjoy our guests. And I like the fact that we get to just a little bit different perspective on things that are going on in the division. And I appreciate that all of you guys show up for it each and every week because it's not your traditional Bills content. So thank you. Thanks, our guest. Thanks to everyone who took a part in making this podcast what it was for a second consecutive year. I can't wait for year three. But for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Krueger, and this has been your AFC's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.